Welcome to the City Beautiful Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join our family as we strive to live together in heavenly reality. For more great content, visit us online at citybeautiful.ch. start this morning by saying some things that hopefully aren't too traumatic. I'm going to talk about math. Um, (laughs) Some excited people about math, right? You start like kindergarten, first grade, second grade, math is like the easy stuff. Like literally you just start out learning the numbers. Like this shape means this many things. A stick that's straight up and down, one thing. It's pretty easy, right? Then, you know, you get into addition, subtraction, think a little bit of division in like second grade, maybe. Any teachers in here? Is that right? Well, you teach art. This, that, that, you don't count. No. <laughs> Do they learn division in second grade? Oh, is that after them? Anyway, I, all I remember, this is what I remember. This is why I'm telling this story. Third grade, I remember significant moment, multiplication. Like you get into multiplication in third grade. And there was this sense of like going into third grade of like, oh, I'm going to learn something new. And this whole thing with math, I think it just for me kept going, you know, 11th and 12th grade calculus stuff. And it's like, I have no idea and I'm not super excited about this. But there was still this expectation of I'm going to show up to school I'm going to learn something new. There's going to be something that I encounter that I've never encountered before. And math, maybe not the most exciting example of that, but there's this sense of expectation as a kid. Literally this morning, I was just rolling through my um, Instagram stories, and my friend Sheena had uploaded two videos of her kids literally standing near the stove in a safe distance, watching the Jiffy Pop aluminum foil like begin to like puff up and they're looking at it wide-eyed with this like amazement and she goes what what do you think it is and I think the younger of her two kids was like it's popcorn and she goes oh you really think it's popcorn and the older son was like yeah it's popcorn and it was just this thing of like this amazement of watching popcorn fill up an aluminum foil thing as it pops on the stovetop. And there's this sense of wonder and expectation and amazement and expectation that we'll encounter new things on a daily basis, on a regular basis when we're kids. And I wonder if we begin losing some of that as we continue through life. And so today we're going to talk about this. Childlike wonder gives us the ability to release fear and listen with an open heart and mind. And we've been in this series about the voice of God. We've listened or we've, we've talked about like some of the ways God communicates. And last week and the week before, we were talking about what it means to posture ourselves in a place to listen. And today I want to talk about this, this idea of remembering the attributes of what it means to be a child And to opening ourselves up to those things again, maybe in some ways this morning, recapturing a few of the things that might be have, we might have lost along the way when it comes to the attributes of what it means to be a kid. And Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 18. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. 
And why did Jesus need to say this? Why was Jesus saying this to the disciples? Because if we were once kids, like, seems like we'd retain some of that stuff. I think the reason Jesus pulls this child over as an example of the answer to this question is because so many of us have forgotten what it's like to be a kid. So many of us have lost those beautiful attributes of what it means to be a child. So what is childlike faith? Childlike faith means embracing the best parts of being a kid in our daily lives. Wonder, excitement, joy, innocence, discovery, safety, adventure, expectation, trust. These are the things we lose as we journey with unhealed pain. And that's what I want us to talk about today. First, this idea of what is childlike faith? What does it mean to live a life of wonder and excitement and joy and innocence and all of these things? And then to recognize the reason Jesus needed to pull this child over and put this child in front of this group of adults is because so many of us, as we walk through our lives, we begin to lose these attributes. And in so many ways, these attributes are the things that make life beautiful. These are the things that make life worth living. These are the things that remind us what it means to embrace life fully, to do things with abandon. And Jesus talks about in this passage that if you're going to inherit the kingdom of heaven, you have to be like a little child. And that's not a statement about eternity. It's not this idea of like, if you're going to go to heaven when Jesus is talking about this. What Jesus is talking about is if you're going to bring heaven, the realities of heaven to earth, you have to have in some sense a childlike heart. If you're going to be a person of peace and joy and goodness and kindness and caring, we have to be people who are willing to embrace in our daily lives wonder and excitement and innocence and safety. It's hard for us to experience peace if we've forgotten what it means to have the childlike peace of who we are that means we're safe. It's hard for us to embrace a life of joy if we're walking around without a sense of wonder. And instead of replacing it with a sense of cynicism, because for us that becomes safer. And so what does it mean for us to embrace childlike faith? By journey, journeying through the process of finding healing in our pain. And in Luke, this uh, kind of a parallel story, Luke chapter 18 People are bringing their kids to Jesus, and then this happens. People were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. And so there's these people who are bringing their kids to Jesus because they just want them to meet Jesus. And there's, I'm assuming, a sense of wonder and awe, and maybe in some of these kids, a little bit of confusion. Like, what's going on right now? Why is this happening? But look at all these people, and look what's happening, and this is all new for me. And in the midst of this moment where maybe there's this beautiful and innocent thing that's happening as these children are interacting with Jesus— the disciples rebuke the people for bringing their kids to Jesus. And I think in this rebuke, we see so much of what happens in us as we continue to grow up, as we continue to move farther and farther away from childhood. The disciples in this moment start kind of moving into this place of like control 
and social norms. And this is the way we do it. And you can't bring those kids over here. And why is this happening? And from this place that is kind of the antithesis of joy and wonder and innocence, the disciples begin rebuking the people for even allowing this thing to happen. And I wonder how many of us have experienced some of those similar things in life. That maybe we can remember these moments of joy and innocence and wonder and adventure and safety. And maybe to some degree, some of those things are still part of our lives. But we've gotten wrapped up in the need to control the environments around us because it makes us feel more secure. Or we've gotten wrapped up into the cultural norms of what the world around us is saying that we have to do and who we have to be. Or we've become overworked because we're trying to prove something. And we move so far away from the wonder and innocence of childhood. And we moved into a place of having to control our own lives and control the people around us. And to control the places that we, the, the environments that we spend our time in. And that's what we see in the life of the disciples who had in some ways been tainted with the expectations of the world and the social and cultural norms. And in that, we see this. When we've lost our childlike faith, we begin begin trying to control everything around us. Kind of a sideways example, if you'll go here with me for a second, uh, of this idea. So in the 1800s, and actually in all of human history before that, uh, there was not one central time. Like time was kind of based on where you lived and people told time by kind of a local time and there was a different local time in Philadelphia and New York and Orlando and St. Louis and San Diego and everybody kind of had their own local time and it was often indicated by the ringing of a church bell in, uh, in the central square of, uh, of the town. Every day at noon they'd ring the church bell and everybody would say, okay, it's noon. Not that that matters because we don't have watches, so doesn't really matter what time it is. We'll kind of live that way. Well, then the railroads come along. And uh, obviously, if you've ever been on a train or a plane, uh, we need schedules to be able to control those things. So what would happen is a train would leave New York and they would be on New York time, but they'd arrive in Philadelphia, which is maybe 15 or 20 minutes different in the local time. And so people in Philadelphia didn't actually know when to arrive at the train station and people who were on the train didn't actually know what time it would be in Philadelphia when they arrived in Philadelphia. And so there was just kind of this whole mess of time because everybody had their own local time. They were all doing their local thing. So some smart people got together and they started saying, okay, how can we remedy this problem? And if you can imagine, like, think about in our current context how insane people get around daylight savings time. Like, I don't get it. Like, I love when it gets dark at five o'clock, but most people don't. I recognize I'm an outlier in that. I'm getting thumbs down from the audience. Like, people feel, like, passionate about this, right? And, and that's just, like, an hour time difference. Like, that happens a couple times a year. Spring forward, fall back, not a huge deal, but to some it is. Um, and, and so in this, they're literally talking about how can we get everybody across the country to give up their tight grip on their local time. And it was this thing, it was like a really big issue. And it was such an issue that in this conversation where they're talking about how we work this out and where, how the time's going to happen, and then they, you know, they came up with the time zones, there was a preacher in Tennessee and he got on stage one Sunday morning as all this time talk was happening and he pulled out a watch and he put it on the table and he took a hammer and he smashed the watch 
with his hammer. And he said, we're not living on anybody else's time. We're living on God's time. And it was this like social statement that he felt so passionate about that he had to pull out a hammer and smash a watch and like make a declaration about this cultural phenomenon that was happening where they're trying to get everybody on the same page when it comes to time. And I heard that story recently and I just thought to myself like how crazy do we get when it comes to our attempts to try to control the world around us? Like, we look back on that and we think, okay, like, maybe that's a little extreme. Maybe that's a little silly. Like, this guy literally, like, pulled out a watch and smashed it on the stage and was, like, going on, like, this religious rant about time. And we're not going to, you know, we're not going to succumb to anybody else's opinion of time. We live on God's time. And it's just, like, we're just trying to get trains to places, like, so that everybody's clear on when to get on and when to show up at the train station. Really, we're just trying to help people out. But there was this deep sense of like, no, 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 this is the way things have always been and we've always had our local time and right here in Tennessee, we got our local time and ain't nobody gonna tell us how to change our local time. This is our time. And we just get like so controlling about stuff. And, and I'm sure that like we've experienced this all to some degree when it comes to like even life in the church. Like, the church has been so weird about some things through, through the ages. I'm a musician, so, like, church history and music, just there's this long, weird history with church and the music. So, like, at one point, the church dictated literally the, the allowable intervals in music. And an interval is, like, the distance between two notes. So, like, do, re, that's a second Dun, dun. And then there's a third, dun, dun, that's a third. And the church literally was making edicts about what the intervals could be in music and what was allowable. And then there were other kind of like sects of Christianity that even today still like have this conversation of like, are we allowed to have music uh, instruments on stage? If we are, what instruments are we allowed to have? And then like growing up in the church in the 90s, it was like, I was in a really, not really actually, it wasn't really conservative, it was just a Baptist church, and there was like this big conversation of like, are we allowed to have drums in the church? Can we really bring drums in here? And like looking back on it, all of it seems so silly. But how many of us in our lives fall into this, this like trap of being so distracted by the actions and decisions of other people that we totally neglect our own health, our own faith, our own relationship with God? And I think this happens over and over and over again. And I think in a lot of ways, this need to control is so attached to our loss of childlike faith, to our letting go of the most beautiful pieces of life. One of the greatest distractions from our own spiritual thriving is obsessing over the actions of other people. And why do we do this? Why do we get so wrapped up in like having this religious fervor around time or having a religious fervor around what instruments are allowed on stage or having a religious fervor about the actions and opinions and attitudes of other people? Well, because as we journey through life and we encounter and understand that we experience pain and we experience trauma and we experience downs in life, it's far easier to not deal with those things inside of us and simply distract ourselves by obsessing over the actions of other people. And today, as we talk about childlike faith, as we talk about wonder, as we talk about adventure, 
as we talk about joy and innocence and safety, we can distract ourselves all day long by worrying about the world outside of ourselves. We can distract ourselves by having opinions and getting engaged in debates on social media about things that in many ways have nothing to do with us. Or we can say, all right, Lord, I'm going to look inward for a little while. I'm going to look back at some of the things that have happened in my life that have begun to separate me from what it means to be a person who carries with me every day the beauty of childlike faith. I'm going to move away from the distractions of controlling the actions of other people or attempting to, and I'm going to do the hard work of looking inside so that you and I could open and reopen a clear channel of communication between my spirit and your spirit. I want to go back and do the hard work of clearing out the mess that has become a distraction. And I want my mind and my heart and my soul and my spirit to be revived to the beauty, joy, innocence, and adventure of childhood. To truly listen for God with the expectation of a child, we must deal with the undealt with trauma that has separated us from the authenticity of childhood. In Matthew 18, Jesus says, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Because control and worry and busyness and a lot of the things that even Ryan talked about last week are things that are counter to the kingdom of heaven. But the attributes of a child of humility and trust and innocence, and joy, and adventure, and wonder. Those are the things that are the fabric of the kingdom. And if we're going to be people who embrace the kingdom, we have to be people who embrace the joy of childlike faith. And that happens with moving through, dealing with, undealt with trauma and pain that has separated us from those attributes of childlike faith. If we don't know how to cope Every time we experience pain, we build a wall between us and our childlike faith. At one time, all of us experienced the joy and wonder and awe of being a child. And as we move through life, we begin to move further and further away from that. And I don't think it just happens. I think it happens because there are things that cause us to step away from those beautiful attributes of being a child. In fact, if we're going to be truly mature people, I think maturity is the process of embracing things like discipline and responsibility and trust. It's, it's the process, process of embracing those things of what it means to be an adult while retaining the attributes of what it means to be a child. And it doesn't have to be huge traumatic stuff that separates us from the realities of our childhood, of those beautiful attributes of being a child. Sometimes it's small phrases that are said to us that we carry with us for the rest of our lives. Sometimes it's things that were never said to us that we really needed to hear. I was thinking about some of these things this week. Here are some phrases that I think are indicative of this, the shift in attitude from childlike faith to the cynicism of adulthood. I trusted you and you hurt me, 
So I'm going to stop trusting. I tried that thing and I wasn't good at it. So I'm going to stop, stop trying new things. I stepped out in faith and it didn't turn out the way I expected. I'm going to stop stepping at, out. I expected something awesome and it wasn't. I'm going to lower my expectations. I was happy once, but the happiness went away. So I'm going to stop searching for joy in my life. And I think these are the phrases that are the transitional phrases from the joy of childlike faith into the cynicism of adulthood. And I think so much of it is caused by pain and disappointment. And in that pain and in those disappointments, we step away from the innocence of childlike faith and we begin erecting walls that separate us from those pieces of ourselves that at one time trusted. But in that place of trust is truly where we find life. Life for ourselves on a daily basis. And in so many ways, the trust of opening our hearts and minds and spirits to be in continual relationship with God and to be able to hear God's voice in our lives. I want us to close our eyes right here. And I'm just going to read um, five questions. And I want you to think about these questions. I think these questions are indicators that we're separated from childlike faith. So the first question. Do you have a sense of shame around the enjoyment of life? Do you have a sense of shame around enjoying life? Is there a looming burden of always needing to do more? Do you stay in safe places and resist trying new things? Are you reluctant to trust other people? Have you stopped expecting the joy and surprise of learning new things? And maybe as I read one of those questions, you resonated with one of them or it brought something up or it reminded you of something? I want to encourage you to just sit with that for a minute. Because I think these things are Examples of walls that we build in our lives that separate us from childlike faith. Shame, 
the burden to do more, a looming sense of needing to be ever more productive, a resistance to trying new things, an inability to trust other people, shutting down the wonder of learning and experiencing something new. God, if anything has come up in us in, in these last few minutes, I just pray for your goodness and your tenderness and your sensitivity to meet us in these places so that we can begin dismantling these walls that we've built between us and the joy of childlike wonder. And that we would be able to, with a smile and with a sense of lightness, recapture the adventure of life, the joy of living, the innocence of what it means to be a kid and to approach life with open arms and to approach you with open arms. And as these things today or over the weeks come to mind, these walls that we've built between us and our childlike wonder, God, I pray that you continue to meet us with tenderness, that your tenderness would be a solvent that holds the hard walls together, that it would begin to dissolve the concrete and those walls would just disintegrate before us and that we begin recapturing the fullness, the wholeness of who we are as people, of what it means to be human and what it means to journey through life full and whole. Amen. So why is this journey important? This journey is important because the kingdom of heaven is defined by the attributes of childhood. And that's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18 when he was saying, if you don't embrace these things, you'll never capture the kingdom of heaven. Embracing the ability to hear God begins with returning to the posture of childhood. Embracing the ability to hear God begins with returning to the posture of childhood, returning to a place of trust, returning to a place of approaching God and life with a sense of expectation. With that kind of innocence, with that kind of belief, believing that we can approach life and hear God in the midst of the day today, believing that we can walk into a place of quietness with God and not just be alone and isolated, but be connected with God in a place of intimacy as we find the joy of being with the kingdom of heaven is defined by these attributes, attributes of childhood. And embracing the ability to hear God begins with returning to the posture of childhood. So I want to talk about four things that we can do to return to a childlike sense of expectation. And this is how we'll wrap this up. 
First, humbly embark on the journey to deal with the trauma that has ripped us from innocence. Humbly embark on the journey to deal with the trauma that has ripped us from innocence. Over the last couple of months, I've been going to counseling and we've been talking a little bit about, about, for me, like some of the things that have been uh, true in my life and in my childhood and some of the things that I've walked through and journeyed through. And I went again last week and we talked for about an hour, my counselor and I, and we were probably like five or 10 minutes over already. And I don't know if you've ever been to counseling, but sometimes they're a stickler for time. Um, and so uh, we were already a little bit over, but she just said, um, hey, as we're wrapping this up, I just want to, like, check in with you. How are you doing? And I was like, yeah, I've been doing fine. And uh, we talked about that for, like, a minute, and then she just said something that was almost completely unrelated to everything we had just talked about, and I totally lost it. <laughs> and so counseling went on for another, like, 15 minutes as I regathered my ability to enter back into the world and it was just this process of like the thing that you just said totally reminded me of this thing that happened to me that I've been carrying my entire life. And it's not something that's a completely apparent to me. It's not something that I carry with me and think about all the time. But it's something that was so real. In the moment that she said what she said, it all just kind of like in an instant came out suddenly. And there are so many of those things that all of us walk around with that are these walls. And some of them we're completely aware of. And some of them we have no idea what they are. But they are these traumatic moments, some of them big and some of them small, some of them, some of them known, some of them, some of them unknown, that have ripped us from the sense of childlike faith that is built in innocence and trust. And it's essential that we humbly embark on the journey to deal with those things. So sometimes that can happen in an environment like counseling. And I would encourage you to explore that for yourself. It also happens in the context of authentic, deep, connected human relationships in our day to day. Like a counselor can never fulfill what the, what the people who are closest to you are meant to be for you. Like, it's great to go talk to a professional about the deepest pieces of who you are, but we got to have those kinds of relationships in our day-to-day -day life as well, or else we'll never truly enter into the depth of relationship that we're meant for that can actually help us find relationships that are built on openness and safety that allow us to lower those walls to step back into a sense of childlike faith. And I think one of the most important things that we have to grasp about this, about overcoming trauma and returning to a place of childlike faith, is that being healthy only comes through hard work. It hurts, and it sucks, and it's not easy. And literally what I'm asking you to do is to go and stand and look at the walls that you've built in your life that maybe aren't just as simple as some neutral concrete wall, like maybe that wall has a giant mouth that has teeth dripping with blood that's like growling at us as we walk up to it. 
Like sometimes it can be really, really scary and it can be really, really intimidating and it's not a scientific process. It's not the process of like deconstructing a wall in the sense that you would think of just like, let me pull that brick down and pull that brick down and oh, this is nice and oh, this is lovely and oh, that brick didn't weigh much. Like it can be really, really hard work and very, very scary. But if we're going to return to a childlike sense of expectation and joy and wonder, we have to confront the traumas in our lives that have caused us to walk away from those things. Another thing that we can do to return to a childlike sense of expectation is place ourselves in situations and environments that give you the opportunity to experience something new. Place yourself in situations and environments that give you the opportunity to experience something new. Have you crafted a nice life for yourself that is the same thing over and over again, day after day, because that's what you want? You want it to be safe? You want it to be predictable? Well, life with God and true life and a life of adventure is not defined by the same over and over again every day. It's defined by and it's practiced in the context of putting ourselves in situations and environments that give us the opportunity to experience something new. Lamentations chapter 3, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And in this, as I was thinking about this this week, this verse came to mind. And usually, you know, it's kind of summarized in this idea of like your mercies are new every morning. And the thought about like embracing the kind of life that every morning when we wake up, we find the joy of being immersed in God's mercy. And we find the joy in the newness of God's mercy every week. And there's this sense of lightness in this verse. There's a sense of lightness when we think about the idea of encountering God's mercy brand new every morning. And what does it mean for us to carry that sense of lightness when it comes to the newness of God's mercy every morning into everything that we do? Where we overcome the fear of stepping into the new and we embrace it with that same sense of lightness. There's something refreshing about a life filled with newness. I was in a PetSmart the other day. <laughs> Right? That's surprising for those of you who know me. I have no pets. Uh, but I was in PetSmart. And they had some chameleons in there. And, and one of them was shedding. Um, and, uh, and it, you know, he just had that, like, flaky skin. And on the back part where it hadn't shed yet, it was kind of dull and dingy. And on the front side of it, it was, like, bright and green and fresh. And this idea of putting ourselves into situations that allow us to experience something new, there's something refreshing about that. There's something enlivening about that. This week, just randomly, I Googled like um, LSAT, like online sample tests. And I took an online LSAT sample test just because like, I, I hear people talk about it all the time, and I have a couple lawyer friends. I'm like, I think I would have made a good lawyer. So I went, and I, like, looked at the LSAT test, and I was like, what would this life have been like? And I took, like, did some of the questions, and it's not like, what law in 1932 established case precedents for this? It's not, like, factual stuff. It's like, 
like problem, like problem solving riddles. And I was like, oh, this stuff is like really interesting. So I just like took an LSAT test. And like, that's like a totally secular example of trying something new. But I think it's not separated. It's not separated in like, oh, I'm going to go on this adventure and try that new thing. And that's not going to affect my spiritual life. I think all of it is connected. All of it is an outlook. And when we practice experiencing new things in our daily lives, it helps us have an expectation and shape a habit of expecting new things in our life with God as well. Third thing, how do we return to a childlike sense of expectation? Try something you think you won't be good at. This is the essence of faith. It's trying stuff that we have no idea how it will turn out. We have no idea whether or not we'll be good at it. We have no idea whether or not we will be successful, quote unquote, or unsuccessful, quote unquote. Hebrews 11, 1, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Are we willing to step into life trying things that we may or may not be good at? I hope that you're finding that in your life you're developing a habit, habit of stepping in to things that are stretching you and making you grow. Because I think that there's something that we encounter that's very divine as we step into things that stretch us, things that are new for us, things that we've never done before. And again, it teaches us to keep an open heart and an open mind in our relationship with God. That we step into a new spiritual practice as well. We step into um, some of the things that Ryan talked about with silence and solitude and reflection. That we would continue to step into things knowing that maybe we won't be good at them at the beginning. But there's so much value in trying them because it reconnects us to that sense of childlike faith. And this last piece, how do we return to a childlike sense of expectation be okay doing something just for the adventure of it. I asked that question earlier. Do you have a sense of shame around the enjoyment of life? I think this goes kind of hand in hand with that. Be okay doing something just for the adventure of it. Like how often do we do that as kids? I remember growing up, there was a vacant lot in our neighborhood um, down by the lake that was, uh, was in our neighborhood. And it was just a bunch of trees and it kind of sloped down toward, toward the lake and um, the roots of the trees had created like little places you could kind of like nook up in. And it was this magical place. And then people would start dumping trash there. So one point somebody dumped this like rubber hose there that was probably, you know, 50 or 60 feet long. And so we ran that through the trees and uh, we'd stand, it's like sit on one end and like whisper messages in it to each other while somebody was listening on the other side. And there was no objective in that. Like, we weren't building a house on the land. We weren't clearing it out. We were just like having a sense of adventure. We were just playing for the sake of playing. We were enjoying life for the sense of enjoying life. And I think we have to be okay doing something just for the adventure of it. Both in our day-to-day -day lives and in our relationship with God, we have to enjoy life and relationship. So I'm going to put all four of these things up here. And as we wrap up, um, I want us to uh, look at these four things. And I want you to pick one of these four things. And this week, I want you to practice one of these four things. 
So maybe it's this first one, which is a big thing, and I would love to see some of us in the room take some really significant steps toward humbly embarking on the journey to deal with the trauma that has ripped us from innocence. Maybe today, as I talked about some of that stuff, some very specific things came up. Maybe this week it's scheduling an appointment with a counselor. Maybe it's talking to someone you trust in life. Place yourself in situations and environments that give you the opportunity to experience something new. Maybe you want to pick that one and do that. Maybe you're feeling like, you know what, I've created this very measured life for myself. Um, I'd never really step outside and try something new. If that's you, do one of those things. Try something you think you won't be good at. I know that we all have tons of those. If you want to do that this week, fail at something and see what you learn in the sense of that failure. And then be okay doing something just for the adventure of it. If you just want to do something awesome this week, go do something awesome. And the whole time you're there, be conscious of how it's connecting you to a sense of childlike faith and wonder in your life. So before I get off stage, I want you to look at this for a second. I want you to very specifically pick one of these things and in your mind, chart a course of action. So I would love for us to be really practical about what we do with this this week. Have you picked one? Part of being a child is also being obedient and doing the homework. <laughs> and getting disciplined if you don't. I'm going to ask everybody next week, what did you pick and what did you do? Ryan, what did you pick and what, did, what are you going to do? All of them. Okay, good. Yeah. All right. Lord, thanks for today. Um, thanks for our our childhood. However short or long that was, thanks for these moments in life that were defined by innocence, that were defined by joy, that were defined by play and adventure and wonder. And I pray that we would be able to re-embrace that sense of life. And as we explore what it means to listen to you, to hear you, I pray that you would reposition us into those places of what it means to be a kid so that we can approach you with joy, so that we can feel safe, so that we can re-embrace a sense of innocence, so that we could adventure without feeling guilty. And so that we truly would be in awe, in awe of life, in awe of relationships, in awe of the people around us, in awe of the things that we get to do every day, and in awe of you. So let our efforts this week in doing one of these four things be so full of the divine. May they be holy moments where we see you and hear you in the midst of them.
Amen. Let's stand together. This has been the City Beautiful Church podcast. To stay connected, follow us on social everywhere at City Beautiful CH. We hope you join us again soon.